Right, we're back again. Me, Laura, and Ashley. I actually introduced us this week. <laughs> this is our, our last episode, is it not? Kind of. It is, kind of. We might do a sneaky little special one, I think, mm-hmm. at some point that's hopefully soon. But it's our last official Andy's away on holiday, so we've taken over the podcast episode. Yeah, you'll have Andy back next week. So was that really three weeks? Yeah, it was. I know it went really quickly, didn't it? I'm depressed at how quickly life is moving. It is, yeah. They say as you get older, the faster it goes. Yeah, but I bet it went even quicker for Andy, seeing as he was on holiday. Yeah. Oh, I saw a photo. He said it was the last day of the holiday yesterday, maybe. I saw a photo of the swimming pool he had to himself in the morning. Oh, yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm very jealous. Because right now I'm sitting in my office in a very rainy, very wet Glasgow. Oh no, it's rainy. It's lovely weather here today. Yeah, I think we always get opposite weather. If you have sun, we have rain. If we have sun, you have rain. I've oh. just I've just made that up. <laughs> but it doesn't really bother me though because this is perfect duvet day weather. Like this is perfect. Wrap yourself up in a duvet and play video games on the couch and not feel guilty weather. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. To do with that. Yeah, so it's not too bad. So I forgot to ask you earlier when we first came on Skype. How are you, Laura? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very, very tired from doing a lot of work at the moment. I'm running a, f- a few things at a time, maybe two full times worth of work at the moment. Don't burn yourself out, though. No, I'm being very careful. I'm taking today and tomorrow off. I'm still sticking to the, as I should do the podcast, but I'm sticking to not doing anything just so that I can relax and be fresh for Monday. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. How about you, Ashley? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So, something weird happened last night. Um, so last night I became a suggested user on Instagram. Ooh. And I woke up this morning and had like three and a half thousand new followers just from sleeping. Wow. Yeah, and it's crazy because I think my Instagram feed sucks. And I, I doubt that. I, I I don't use Instagram anymore, so I I don't follow you on Instagram. Well, it's not it's it's not great. And then, so to be a suggested user was a big surprise, but it's cool. That's really cool. What's your username? Ashley Baxter. I'm very inconsistent across all platforms. Yeah, I noticed that the other day when I had a cheeky look at one of your Flickr feeds, and it was something very unexpected. Yeah, because when I first um, signed up to Twitter, I was all I did was game. I was a gamer. That's what my thing was. So I used my gamer tag. Uh-huh. So I signed up to a lot of services with my gamer tag. And then obviously I don't game even half as much anymore. And I'm more so focused on photography and and um, insurance. So I kind of moved away from that. So I'm really inconsistent across all platforms, which is a shame. It It does bug me, but oh well. Your Instagram feed is amazing. It's, it's not. I don't know what you're saying. It's the, the dashing Dan Rubin. Oh, yeah. I think that's probably why I got suggested, <laughs> yeah. because of Dan's face. But he's also very popular on Instagram as well, isn't he? Yeah, he has like 800,000 Instagram followers. Now, could you imagine putting 800,000 people in a room? You just can't. Yeah. You just can't comprehend that. That's bizarre. Oh, you've got some cute doggy photos on there as well. Yeah, but I think about four months ago, I decided that I would start taking Instagram a little bit more seriously. So I I kind of stopped posting photos all the time and I stopped posting photos of my feet and I stopped posting a lot of selfies and I stopped posting a lot of pictures of my dog and just focused more on quality rather than quantity. So it seems to have kind of paid off a wee bit. Yeah, they're really, you've got some really lovely landscapes, really lovely portraits. Thank you. And I don't really know that much about photography. Me either. But I know what I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a cool, a cool thing to discover. Not that follower numbers matter that much, but the more people they get to see my photos, the better. So that's good. Well, that, that fits quite well into our topic for today. Because today we're going to talk about public perception. Ah, yeah. I was wondering how. How would that fit? Yeah. So one of the things we've got written down here is social media damage control. And yes. I think, I think that kind of, we, we 
talked about it very briefly last week because we talked about um is it last week or the week before um we talked about when you when that restaurant used your photos on their website yeah and their facebook page that's right because every as they say every unhappy customer is actually a good thing because it gives you an opportunity to delight them yeah to actually make up for it and turn them into a happy especially turn them into a happy customer publicly yeah so they didn't really do that with me um just in case you weren't listening just some local restaurant stole one of my photographs and was using it across their own website and when I approached them about it on their Facebook page after they ignored my email they were very rude to me and just instantly told me to get this post off our Facebook page so now not only do they have one angry photographer they also have somebody who won't go back to their restaurant and I told some I told my friend about it and she's also so angry about it and refuses to go back there so they've lost two customers yeah and that and that'll spread as well because next time it's mentioned in a conversation she'll say to her friend oh did you hear about what happened to Ashley and yeah it will pick up from there I mean, I'm sure that they'll survive without my business, but it's the principle of it. But I'm sure that you, working for yourself as a a web designer, I bet you've never had to deal with somebody, a customer, going on Twitter or Facebook and making derogatory remarks about you or the way that you've dealt with your business. I bet you've never had to deal with that. No. um, I mean, there's other things that, because I've not had any the misfortune of having any clients like that Um, but I still have to be careful I think I still have to be sensible about the things I say and the things I share Uh, it's very easy when you're wound up about something to vent passive aggressively on social networks and that is the the amount of times that not necessarily about clients because I I don't believe that problems are normally clients faults it's normally a sign of my poor communication if a client is frustrating me because I haven't told them how I expect something to be, how I expect feedback to be formatted or um, things like that. Very rarely is a is a client being problematic their fault. But sometimes people that I, I've collaborated with, um, often a, maybe a developer that I've ended up having to work with because they work for the client. I've had moments where I've been so tempted to just go, oh, why can't you do this? <laughs> like... Don't all professional developers do this? And um, I get quite frustrated when I think that other people aren't as professional as they should be. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's so easy to turn to Twitter to kind of vent those frustrations. And one of the things that I've noticed so much recently, and it's really, it really does, really does irritate me, um, people who have bad experiences with businesses, like I did with that business we just spoke about, but I gave them the opportunity to respond to me privately via email first to sort it out. Yeah. And they didn't. But it really annoys me when I see people go on, they put a a full stop before the business name so that we can all see that they're having a day of slow broadband or whatever and vent very publicly about the business. And it really bothers me because as somebody who runs a business, it would it would really cut me up if somebody did that to me. I would rather that they come to me privately and say, Ashley, I've had this problem with your business. I'm really unhappy with this. And give me a chance. Give me the respect and the opportunity to be able to sort it out privately and leave them feeling happier instead of them, you know, bad-mouthing my business all over Twitter. And I see this so much. I just think we should be a little bit more conscious of that. There are real people behind businesses. Yeah, it's very reactionary. Um, I think we're too used to sharing everything immediately. And that's part of the problem with having compu- being in front of computers all the time, having our phones in our pockets all the time. We can just get at, get them out and complain or vent or jump to some kind of conclusion incredibly quickly. And so often it just makes people look bad because they just look like awful, impatient, very first world problem oriented people. Yep, you're right. I think they don't they they want everything now they want everything perfect and they don't think about the people that are providing that service to them. And I I've done it in the past years ago before I really kind of understood how I should be using Twitter. I've done it myself as well, but now I'm so much more conscious of it. Have you ever tweeted something whether it's about a business or a bad experience or just aired your frustrations and immediately regretted it? 
Oh, yes. I, um, quite a few times, I think, as well. But the particular thing comes to mind, which isn't necessarily business related, but I was, uh, annoyed at my sister, <laughs> one of my, one of my younger sisters, um, one night after she'd had a chaotic night the night before. And I vented about it on Twitter, just like one tweet. And my dad saw it and got really annoyed at me. <laughs> Your dad is on Twitter? Yeah, my dad's well cool. Oh my I'm god! Cool. He's on Twitter. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I think it's, well, I think it's good because I wouldn't want to share anything that I would be embarrassed to say in front of my dad. Anyway. Maybe that's a good test then. Yeah, well my rule is don't tweet anything I wouldn't repeat to my grandmother. Yeah, that is a really good rule. I, and that's why I don't, I, maybe I've sworn a couple of times, but I don't swear that much on Twitter, um, and things like that, just because I don't, it's not necessary. I swear a lot in person, <laughs> but, but yeah, I can, I can hold back. What's your opinion of swearing if you do speaking gigs, which you do a lot of speaking, so do you, do you swear when you're on stage? Um, I, no, I don't, I don't really. I don't actively stop myself, but, because sometimes, like, the odd word might slip out and come and be in a, like, be fitting in, in like, if you're trying to express some particular passion for something. But littering it in every other word just smacks of trying too hard, if you ask me. <laughs> it's yeah. just like someone trying really desperately to be cool. And, it, you know, it's just like kids at school, they swear, loads at each other to try and make themselves sound a bit more cool and it's it comes across the same way on stage yeah i agree but i said do you remember my my talk at dot york i said i said pesh do you not remember i had a massive slide that said that's pesh yeah but that's that's really not that bad is it not no right oh to be fair like it's it's a scottish slang word anyway and so half the people there would would know that that's clearly something bad, but they wouldn't know, wouldn't consider it swearing or anything like that, because they don't know it well enough. I think it, it fitted in okay with my, my talk anyway. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I remember someone call, saying, calling out one, I didn't even think it was like what I would consider a swear word, in a talk that I gave the first handheld, and I was on before a run, and then a run came out and brought, brought all the swear words, and it was fine. <laughs> it made my, my swearing fall into insignificance. Does he, does he swear a lot on stage? Not, a, not unnecessarily so. But yeah, I think that's noticeably, yeah. Yeah. But, but going back to, to the original kind of topic, the social media damage control, I had somebody come onto Facebook, and, you know, my, my, the other business that I was doing, or, ugh, that's in a bit of limbo right now. Um, my property insurance business, Brokers Direct. Yeah. There's another business that's named very similarly to us. But because we rank so much better than them in the search engines, it means that we generally bear the brunt of their um, mistakes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so we get a lot of unhappy customers emailing us about things. And um, I always reply to them and say, that's, that's not our company. But one time, one of their unhappy customers decided to go onto our Facebook page and basically write in all capital letters how terrible a company we were, um, how he would never use us again, how he'd never recommend anybody to use us. And um, I, I saw it, and of course, you, you know what it's like. You're so, even though your business is you as a solo entity, you're still a, a emotionally attached to your business. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I saw it and I thought, oh my goodness, somebody's had a terrible experience with my company. This really upsets me, especially when a big portion of my company is out of my control, like I've talked about before with me being an introducer. And, um, you know, we, we use, um, an external call center, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but immediately within five minutes of him having left that, 
that message, I immediately looked into our database and saw that actually nobody of his name had ever purchased a policy from us. So I started to think, okay, this is just some, what do you call those guys? Like a keyboard basher who's just... <laughs> keyboard hero. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I went back to him and I was like, I'm going to be really nice to this guy, really calm. And I was like, you know, I'm really sorry to hear about this. I'm going to do everything I can to dissolve it, but I need your... Uh, policy number, obviously don't want you to post it publicly here. Here's my personal email address. Um, I run the company. So he got in touch with me really politely now that he realized he was dealing with, you know, somebody who's high up, although he doesn't realize that I'm actually the only person in the company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, got, I got to the bottom of it. And of course he wasn't our customer. He was a customer of the other business who was very similarly named to us so got that resolved and he deleted his post and he even became a fan of our business on facebook which means nothing but it just showed me that if you're gonna you're gonna have people who if even if he was a customer of ours i still feel that i dealt with it very well you know i was yeah. just stayed calm and was polite and he was pleased with the service and became a fan on facebook and stuff but it, again it is quite scary that people their their initial reaction when something goes wrong is to just jump on social media and aid it to the world without really giving too much thought about the implications that it may have for the people who are running the businesses because I do think it's important to remember as well people, the businesses are run by people and people do make mistakes sometimes yeah so I just hope that if anybody's listening they can kind of we've all been there we all get angry and I say deal with a company privately and give them the chance to to rectify it but if they don't do that fair enough go and be a uh whatever you called it keyboard hero yeah in that case yeah it's very threatening behavior um the way that people act like that yeah i was wondering with your business do you have i know you've got your insurance by jack twitter account but are you cautious of what you tweet from your own personal account and whether that appears professional as you're behind insurance by Jack. Um yeah, definitely to an extent, but I also I also want people to know that I'm human. Yeah. And that's one of the things that people have consistently said to me over the past few months since Paddy and I've been doing our podcast. They they send emails and say, I really like how you actually hold your hands up and say, I made this mistake or this isn't really working out or I don't know about this. They really like that. But yeah, um, and, and hopefully you're not asking me that because you're sitting looking at my tweets thinking, oh my God, Ashley, you're so unprofessional. No, no, I think your Twitter account is a really, it's an, it, it, it's very genuine. It comes across as you, as you are in person. And I think that that's the ideal that we should aim for. Yeah, it, it, it's something I'm conscious of. Um, I wouldn't really tweet about, you know, like personal things like, relationship stuff and I wouldn't, oh, really, no, I wouldn't yeah. really tweet about breakups and whatnot um I do keep it I do when I tweet I do keep my business in mind but I also still try to be just myself on it it is a balance yeah well, I think that when people get to know you I think they're probably more likely to want to um do business with you because they feel like they know you better, they understand you, they can trust you because they feel like they've got a better idea of who you are as a person. You're not just someone that posts endless links to business-related, you know, like list oh, sites yeah. and things like that because I think a lot of people worry too much about providing value to their yeah. Twitter followers in some way. And I think that actually there's more value in being yourself and then when you do choose to share something, you genuinely are saying, this is a really cool thing that I believe in, or this is a really cool thing that I think you should read, and I really enjoyed reading it. And then people are much more likely to take that seriously and to to follow that because it's not you're not doing it all the time. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and I feel like I do I do get a lot of business through Twitter. Do you? Oh yeah, I it's it's hard to know often where it originates from, but I know that Twitter kind of cements the idea that I know what I'm doing and I do get a lot of people saying oh I saw you on Twitter or my friend who follows you on Twitter recommended you yeah that's why it's so important even if you're just starting out in in the web industry and you're thinking ah what's what's the matter only 100 people are following me so how much damage can be done I would still 
you know, think of the long term implications and be quite careful about about what you post. Strike a balance between, you know, showing your own personality, but also maintaining an air of professionalism. Yeah. So one of the other things that I wanted to speak about today that I put forward to you was about it does kind of tie into to what we've just been talking about, but writing and speaking. Yeah. Because obviously you do a lot of it. Um, well, you do a lot of both those things, writing and speaking. And for me, I don't do as much speaking. Um, I'm trying to do a lot more writing, both through the Insurance by Jack blog and also like by blogging on my own personal site about what I'm learning. But do you think that those two things are a scalable business model. Like, do you think those two things can help you win business, win new clients, win work? Absolutely. Yeah. I I think that I would probably put most of the larger projects I've had and most, maybe about 60-70% of my inquiries down to either people seeing me speak at events or seen my writing somewhere somewhere like a list apart so i'm a columnist on a list apart which was amazing because uh, i was so chuffed when, when sarah asked me to do that because i was like why do you want someone like me <laughs> writing so on there did they give you a posting schedule like did they say you have to post the minimum of no posts a month? it's very very relaxed the idea is to aim for maybe one every six weeks or so um but it's not fixed. If you don't have the time for ages, then that's no problem. If you write two in rapid succession, then that's great. And you've got to work with, um, so we, there's editors, um, and I have an amazing editor called Rose, who is one of my favorite people on the planet. I <laughs> think she's so great. And so you have to work with them to sort of, she helps me get some ideas out sometimes, but she also just edits everything I write, so makes it sound a bit more coherent, makes sure I aren't she reads it through and if she has any questions about the the topic, she'll add them in so I can make sure that it's really well rounded oh. article and things like that. So proper it makes me sound a lot more articulate than I am, I think, sometimes. But uh, so all of the ideas and the style is mine. But she makes just me sound like a more intelligent version of myself. And how do you, I think one of the biggest problems I have, and I bet a lot of people listening have it too, is how do you come up with ideas for content? Every time I have an idea, I write it down. And a lot of the time, sometimes it's just people who ask, ask me questions about things. Um, a lot of the time it will be something that annoys me. So something will really irritate me and I'll unpick, I'll try to unpick why it irritates me and explain maybe why I do it in a different way or often it's why I'm frustrated with myself for doing this particular thing and try and unpick my behaviour behind that. So I, I write a lot about, on a list of what I write probably mostly about working with clients because I'm frequently completely stumped by how I see other people treat their clients and how I see other people talk about their clients going back to the social media thing people just bitching about clients all the time on Twitter so unprofessional and often just makes them look stupid because they're complaining about a client doing something which they could have prevented and that kind of thing so I'll see someone doing something like that and I'll be like oh it's got my blood boiling I may as well try and project this into some writing yeah, well that that's quite good. Um, that's something that I should really do more of is take a note of when people ask me questions because that obviously implies that it's a topic people want to hear about. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's quite a good way. Often when you vent, you'll vent on Twitter. You'll end up having conversations with loads of people. You'll get distracted from work for an hour or so. And so when I get into that situation rather than going straight inventing a complicated topic on twitter i'll go and and then spending an hour arguing about the nuances of it i'll go away and try and write something about it so that i'm using that energy and that frustration but in a way that i feel slightly more productive and what's your advice for people like myself who like i've just said i want to employ writing as a bit of a, a marketing 
technique from a business. Um, what's your advice to people who want to start to write for these publications? You know, um, for example, Smashing Magazine or Creative Block. Would you say, because in, in this case with a, a list, a list apart, they approached you. Would you say that that doesn't always have to be the case? You can put yourself forward. What's the best way to do that? Do you have any advice with that? Oh, absolutely. I know that a list apart and Smashing Magazine both um, accept articles for review or even topics that you can say to them I'm thinking of writing I want to write something about this um do you have someone that can talk to me about this and help me form those things and so I think having a couple of examples of how you write if you haven't written the article yet then maybe linking to some things on your blog uh, writing a lot on your blog is a great way of practicing anyway and getting your ideas and thoughts and your writing style out there so then people can pick up on it but you've also got loads of examples just like having a portfolio loads of examples of what you can do when when you say to someone oh i'd really like to write a post about css for you and they can go and look at your other technical writing and go oh yeah she's pretty good at that so i i think that we'll go with we'll try and write an article together so it's having lots of examples and getting lots of practice. And I have another question. Hello. <laughs> what about if what about if you want to write but you're plagued with insecurities about, you know, for example, oh I've just been doing this for two years, I don't know enough. You know you want to write, but you put yourself down because you don't consider yourself as experienced. Um, is that something that you yourself have tackled? Yes, and people ask me this all the time as well. In in reference to speaking at conferences and things like that as well, everyone always has their own unique perspective on things that makes what they have to say interesting. I think you don't have to be the absolute authority on anything to be able to write about it or speak about it. You just have to have your own perspective. So... I think maybe emphasising when you're talking about your opinions, saying this is your opinion and not saying this is absolutely right and everyone else is absolutely wrong, but you are writing or speaking from your own perspective and that's what makes it interesting and valuable. Well, there you go. Yeah. And that's something I care, <laughs> I care about that a lot because otherwise I never would have started doing anything. I I knew I was being loudmouthy about some things, but... I always knew it was my opinion. Yeah, I, th I totally agree with you. I always agree with you. We should actually have an episode where we just say really controversial things to disagree with each other. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Given, yeah. yeah um, but yeah, I think a lot of people end up never doing that, never doing writing or speaking because they don't think that they're qualified enough to talk about that. But if you apply your own personality and your own story to it, then... You, then the world is your oyster. Oh yeah, and there are those, there are people that make it their life's work to go around and complain that X Y Z, who's writing or speaking, shouldn't be because they don't know this, that, or the other, and not experience. Oh my god, naysayers are awful. Um, there's just no more tedious occupation in life than being like that. Um, I think that everyone has something interesting to say. Yeah, I think so too. But I've always noticed that the people who do say that so-and-so shouldn't be speaking are the people who themselves have never done any speaking. Yeah, people who don't know how difficult it is or how much time and effort and care goes into that. Yeah, so I also want to use speaking to grow my business. Um, I know that Mark Bolton from, well, previously Five Simple Steps, because obviously it's Craig, Craig's and, uh, Craig and Amy's baby now, but he always said that he felt speaking he would often, I'm sure I read this somewhere and I'm not making it up, he would often do speaking gigs for free because the return that he would get from book sales and stuff was, you know, enough to justify him speaking. Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel that that might be the same for me as well. Um, you know, if I can speak and obviously provide value to the audience, but also, in it, and I can never say this word, inadvertently. Yeah. Um, you know, promote my business as well, or at least put the name out there, then it's it's worth doing. Um, but do you think that 
because what what confuses me about you is that you speak about web design, but you're often speaking at web design clients. So when you say that, yes, it's been good for your business, do you mean that it's simply people passing work on to you if they can't take it on? Or is it people hiring you? A lot of times people hiring me. I think because I've done a lot of work for web startups and other people that work in the industry, I'd probably say that maybe 70-80% of my clients are in the industry anyway. So it is, I am speaking to people that are potential clients. Of course, like Rachel Andrew. Yeah, exactly. So there's people recommending their friends to each other as well. Like saying, oh, I've, I, I've seen her speak at an event. I get a lot of my colleague, my friend saw you speak. My colleague friend follows you on Twitter and wow. thinks that you would be the right person for this job. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely. I'm. I'm going to explore it for a bit. The only thing, the only thing that really puts me off doing speaking to promote my business, or rather, that, that's. I wrote up a whole post about this. Yeah, I remember. It was a great yeah. post. Thank you. But uh, you know what I mean when I when I say thinking of speaking, doing speaking to promote my own business. I don't mean just standing on stage and going, "You should all take out insurance with me," because <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, what puts me off doing speaking? regularly is because of how difficult I find it um, and I know that the more you do something the easier it becomes but still I find that so much work goes into speaking um, it's such a massive build up it really does detract you from or rather distract you from other work you have going on so that's what puts me off doing it but would you say you've been doing it long enough now that it doesn't have that effect on your work? No, it's terrible. <laughs> I've had to. <laughs> this year I said I wouldn't do more than one event every other month. Well, that's still loads. That's, that's six in a year. Um, bear in mind that the year before I think I did six, last year I did 16 events. What? Yeah. Um, and I could have made a lot more money if I didn't spend so much time travelling around and I'd lose a day either side to travel, I'd lose the day of the the conference, I'd lose probably a day afterwards to being exhausted, I'd lose, depending whether I was writing a talk or not, I'd lose a whole week to writing a talk because it takes a really long time to write good talk content. And that's why I mean, I can't, I do very few talks for free now. I, not for profit um, places, I'll do talks for free. Um, but if they're, if they're like an overnight stay away, then I have to get them to provide travel and hotel expenses as well. Because I thought I, it's too expensive when you work for yourself and I can't, it's not just the expense of paying for these things, but the expense of losing out on X amount of days of doing work where I can earn money. Yeah. Because no one's going to, no one's going to pay me to do that otherwise. And I think it's much easier for the people that work for big web companies where they'll get paid to do it. They'll get paid to have a day out and go promote the company in that way. Um, whereas I, I can't pay myself to do that. I don't, so no one else is going to pay me to do that. Yeah. Well, that was my next question, actually. Out of the 16 that you did last year, do you have a rough percentage of, of what ones were paid? Uh, maybe two or three. That's terrible. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I came to the realisation I need to be a lot stricter about it. A lot of the time I was saying to myself, oh, well, I'm not, I've not been doing it that long. I'm not that much of an expert. So how can I justify asking for money for this? Um, which is ridiculous because someone who wants you to speak somewhere, then you're clearly good enough. And it was, yeah. And I just found myself with no, no money. It, or not enough money at the end of the year, not as much as I think I could have made. Yeah, so that's that's a good takeaway for anybody listening who's thinking of getting into speaking. Actually, don't be afraid of asking for compensation because it does take it does take up so much time. But I think I've been quite lucky with the conferences that I've spoken at because only, well, okay, to be fair, I've only done three, but only one of them didn't pay. Yeah. So I've been quite lucky, but but the reason that I think that is is because it's actually becoming more expected from conference organisers these days. Absolutely, yeah. People know that that's the deal now. If it's a if it's for profit, 
If the organisers themselves are making money, then the speakers should be paid. Uh, and I'm not saying it has to always be day rates for the amount of time it took them to prepare their talk and things like that. And Not many people would expect such a large amount. It will still not be a huge amount, but at least paying them for their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry for using you there as like, I don't know, just throwing all these questions at you. It's just an area. No, no, this, this is good. This is hopefully what makes a good podcast. <laughs> it's just an area that really interests me. Yeah, I think it is interesting. It's been very helpful to me. Um, being with Aral and being able to get his advice because he's been doing speaking for uh, probably like eight to ten years or something, and so he he has been through all of the problems. He has gone through. He has no problem charging people um, now. It's not it's not something he worries about, and all of those kinds of all the etiquette around it, how you deal with organisers, what you should expect from organisers. There's uh, a lot of that I've just learned through him, which is really useful. I have one more question. Go on. Wait, what was it again? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it now. So I think some people might be quite surprised to find out, well, not to find out, but to know that I'm a bit of an introvert because I think people look at speakers and immediately think, Oh, they're so extroverted yeah. that they can stand up on stage and put on this performance yeah. and talk to hundreds of people. Um, but I'm definitely an introvert. I spend most of my time by myself, and I lo- and I can't after I've been with people for too long. I just need to run away and. Oh, I'm the same. Yeah. Oh, so you're you're. Yeah, you say you're I'm exactly the same. I have to. I really have to force myself to stay out to conference after parties because I usually just want to go run away and hide. And, Me too. And go watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that that's really solitary and shut yeah. away. I, I can't bear it. Yeah, so, well, we're the exact same then. So you would say that you don't have to be an extrovert to be a good or a regular public speaker? No, not at all. I think you have to know your topic really well and you have to have some kind of public speaking ability. It doesn't have to be huge and that's the easiest, quickest thing to develop. The more you practice, the easier it gets with the public speaking. Um, but you have to have enough to hold people's attention for a little while. Yeah, I've been to a a lot of conferences like you have, and there's nothing worse than than you know paying all that money to watch somebody basically read from a book. Yeah, and you know, and the thing is, that's not necessarily being. I don't think that's being bad at public speaking. I think that's just being quite lazy. Um, because of, if someone's reading off their screen or something like that, then it's usually saying that they didn't, they don't either know the topic well enough, know the talk well enough, they didn't spend much time practicing it or learning it. Yeah, but some people don't even rehearse yet. They're still good at what they do. Like I know, um, when I spoke at Practical Takeaways, Dan said his thing wasn't to rehearse. I think it was Dan that said that, and his talk still worked out really well and really natural and confident so I guess it all boils down to the individual but for me I definitely feel that I have to know my talk and I have to know the structure and I have to you know know the flow yeah I don't practice very much but I spend a lot of time writing it so I know it really well and maybe I need to run through it once at least um just so that I know how it fits together um when I'm actually saying it out loud but I don't normally run through more than once or twice mm. well I think that's all my questions <laughs> maybe it's time for a sponsor we've got quite a long way before getting to a sponsor so um, our sponsor is one of the well-loved sponsors from Unfinished Business and that's Espresso Espresso I think it's been a lot around for about as long as I can remember I remember a long long time ago when I maybe just started out doing web development discussing espresso versus whatever was the trendy new ones at the time but espresso has just lived on for years and years still consistently doing very well so espresso is the code editor it's fantastic for writing html and css it has all the tools you need to make writing and editing code simple and efficient it has MacRabbit's award-winning CSS edit tools, code sense, code folding, smart snippets, and drag-and-drop navigator to help you write better code in much less time. 
Espresso also includes a flexible workspace that will fit into yours. You can just make it work however you want it to. There's a handy web preview feature too, so when you get to the point where you're starting to look at things in the browser, you can use their web preview feature, which has an x-ray tool, which helps you see exactly how the CSS is being applied within the page. That's really cool. You said that, Ashley, you've got Espresso on your machine. I'm looking at... I'm looking at it right now because it's sitting in my dock and it's making me want a cup of coffee. It's a very lovely icon, isn't it? It really is. It's, did they did they design that in-house? I'm not sure, but it's it's been around for a long time, I think. I think if I remember rightly, and if I remember wrongly, I'll have to cut this bit out later, but I think Bill Peters did a, an opening screen for them at some point as well. They really get that yeah. designers use espresso. So it's a it's a tool that's not just functional. There are a lot of functional text editors out there, but it's also beautiful. It's also really well designed. It fits really well into OSX. It feels like a part of it. And everything is just really beautiful details. Espresso is available from unfinished.bz slash espresso and is only $75, but Listeners of this show can get a fantastic 10% discount by using the coupon code UNFINISHED at the checkout. And that's Espresso. Oh, I wish I'd waited until now to buy it. (laughs) Well, I've had it for years anyway, so that's kind of redundant. Yeah, I I always do it when I see um, good deals. I'm like, oh, but then when it's something you use a lot, then I'm like, actually, I'm kind of pleased that I supported them because it's worth the money and they deserve it. That's true. So where do we go from here, Laura? Well, we have um, a few questions that we didn't we didn't do last week. So oh, I thought that, yeah. that might be quite good to do one. Oh, and this is kind of related to what we were talking about before the sponsor. Right, dog is uh, shuffling no. about in the background. I can hear him. What's he doing? He stood up and now he looked around and now he's doing that little thing you know dogs do when they walk round and round in a circle. I knew he was doing that. Yeah, you can hear him clicking about on the floor. Do you know why they do that? I think it's because they, when they're outdoors, it's a way of flattening the grass out. I was hoping you didn't know down. that so that I could tell you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. (laughs) You're just as clever as me then. I only found that out very recently. (laughs) You may well have told me. So Shane Hudson, lovely Shane, um, has asked us on Twitter, how do you force yourself out of your comfort zone? He says, I know Ashley has mentioned it before in regards to speaking, but maybe if we think about it generally. So that's a big thing that you've been focusing on recently, isn't it, Ashley, is forcing yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I think it's really important to say yes to things that scare you. And one of the things that I've been doing recently is that I've kind of landed a semi-regular, does that that even make sense? Um, Yeah, semi-regular slot on a TV show that is uh, broadcasted broadcasted live. Oh yeah, you you mentioned this the other day and I completely forgot to ask you about it. You were on the telly. Yeah, I've been on it quite a few times now and the and I'm going on again and basically you know how you get these evening what would you call them? Like an evening magazine style show, like um do you guys get the one show? Yeah, the one show, yeah. That kind of thing. So we have one of those S T V studios is in Glasgow and we have one of those um T V shows in Glasgow called The Riverside Show. And I've been going on there as what they call a newspaper reader. So basically, it's quite random. Basically, um, go through the kind of daily newspapers and talk about what's on the news. And that's really it. That is so cool. What you you do so many things. You you must be one of the coolest people I know. (laughs) Laura, you're so funny. (laughs) So. What kind of news is it usually in the newspapers? Is it local? Yeah, it's very concentrated on Glasgow and the surrounding area. Like recently we've been talking a lot about the Commonwealth Games, that kind of thing. Um, Or you just get really random stories about perhaps buildings that are being demolished or 
people, you know, campaigning for Glasgow to become a better city to cycle around. It's, it's very much concentrated on local news. And that's why they've got people like me getting involved in the show is because, um, so a big thing about Glasgow is people make Glasgow. That's our slogan. Yeah. And people do make Glasgow. I love Glasgow for its friendly people. Um, and so they're trying to kind of bring that into the show and, and get people, kind of local business people, um, to, to get involved in it that way. So I think that's why, why I'm doing it. That is, um, that's, that must be so much fun. It's, it's not. I hate it. But I, <laughs> I, I hate it because it's scary. So this is one of the things, cause I wrote a post about it, about kind of getting comfortable with discomfort. So going on live TV makes me feel, much it makes me feel even more nervous than how I felt when I do public speaking. Oh, I must do. Yeah, and it's like when they count down the like one minute until air or ten, nine, eight, blah blah blah. It makes me feel literally like I'm going to empty the entire contents of my stomach onto the floor. I do <laughs> really feel like uncontrollably sick, and it's a horrible feeling to put myself through. But I always once it's finished and I've done a good job, it's, you know what it's like, it, it's, it's worth it yeah. for that, that kind of high. Um, and I just feel that the more you do things that terrify you, so maybe doing this, it will actually make public speaking easier. Yeah. Because, totally. yeah, so that's why I do it. And that's why I think it's important. But in regards to Shane's question, how do you force yourself outside of your comfort zone? Well, that's just it. Nobody wakes up and says, for example, if you have a fear of flying, nobody wakes up and says, ah, oh, today I feel like I could actually get on a plane. You know, if you're scared of something, you're never going to feel um, an enjoyment of doing it or looking forward to it. So you do have to just force yourself outside of this. I know it's such a cop-out answer to his question, but there's just no magic formula. No, You're never ready to do something that you're scared of. You really just have to throw yourself into the deep end and it's always 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 worth it do you agree yeah totally i think maybe three or four years ago um i'd been in a rut for ages and ages and i decided to do just that start saying yes to opportunities that came up even if they're things that i would normally never say yes to i would i go yeah i'll try that i'll give everything a go and it made such a big difference to my life and i've kept doing it now that Every time a new opportunity comes up, particularly to try something new, I used to be very scared of trying new things, of doing anything that was, well, outside my comfort zone, but anything that was outside my little bubble. And I was very happy and comfortable just doing the same work, um, being in the same place. When I went out in the evenings or the weekends, I'd always do the same things. And just trying to change that and do something a bit different. But I think it's very difficult to know sometimes when you're in your comfort zone, it can be hard to know what to do in order to get out of it. What is, there might not be something that's obviously scary or mm. obviously difficult. And I think often it's a case of looking at what other people are doing and going, why don't I do that? Why don't I try that? Yeah, kind of like we've just talked about with you writing for a list of parts. There will be somebody who's listening thinking, I want to do that. And they, but they might feel really uncomfortable, uncomfortable about it. Like I said, they might think they're not experienced enough or something. So that kind of thing as well is even pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, making steps towards taking yeah. steps towards making that happen. Um, but you know, one of the things that I would recommend everybody to watch, and this is so silly. Okay. But have you ever seen a movie called Yes Man? Yes, I have. Yeah. It's such a silly movie, it's a comedy, but see the underlying message of it, the character, Jim Carrey, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And he says yes, he starts saying yes to everything, because his life's a bit boring, he's in a bit of a slump, and then he starts saying yes to everything, and through doing that, he meets the love of his life. And yes, it's such a cliche, but I think the basic message of that is really good, that if you do say yes to things that scare you, good things do come from that. Yeah, I think those of us that sit and work behind computers... Um, can end up being very set in our ways, particularly if we're introverted as well. We can be quite cautious of doing new things and meeting new people. And yeah, sometimes you just have to remind yourself that 
You've only got this one life, and so you've got to try and do as much as you can with it. Give, and even if it sucks, it gives you an interesting story to tell. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And you can you can ask yourself what kind of person you want to be in the future. And if you're quite happy to be where you are right now, then fair enough. Don't 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 do anything. Don't change anything. But if that's kind of depressing, and that that thought depresses me, do I really want to be the same person ten years from now doing the same things? No, I want to be a better person. I want to have more experience. I want to be doing different things. Then to get there, you're going to have to you're going to have to step outside of your comfort zone. There's like a wee diagram on the web somewhere that says that's where the magic happens, isn't it? Everybody, I seen think that? so. Yeah, I will. I will find it and I will put it in the show notes. Yeah, that's where the magic happens. But yeah, I feel like that's such a cop-out answer that how do you force yourself out of your comfort zone? Well, you just kind of force yourself out of your comfort zone. (laughs) Yeah, I think look at what other people around you are doing and steal some of their ideas, steal some of their fun. Yeah. Well, don't take it away from them. (laughs) But no, I agree, yeah. And if, if confidence is what you're lacking, then find somebody who can give you a good pep talk. Email me. I'm yeah. going to give you a good pep talk. Yeah, or, email Laura. Yeah, or email me or, or tweet us because, yeah, I'm always up for a good pep talk. Love a good pep talk. <laughs> yeah. So, that, that is so our title for, the, for this week's episode. <laughs> Did we have any more questions? Uh, we do, but I think, first of all, I'm just going to do our next sponsor. Our final sponsor this week is a conference. It's a conference focused around iOS, Android, and Windows developers. It's called the Native Summit. And Native Summit is a half-day event that's happening at the Genesis Cinema in London on September the 9th. Oh, I, I like a conference in a cinema. Great location. Popcorn. Good seats. Popcorn at a conference. Yeah, but you didn't get any at... Did you get any at dot, dot York? I didn't because I was on last and I knew if I ate anything I'd feel very sick. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Native Summit has great speakers from companies like Spotify and Microsoft. Mike Lee, who's an ex-Apple engineer, will be talking about Apple good, why Apple is so much better than their competitors in so many ways, and how we could steal some of that magic for ourselves. And I've just had an email this week from uh, Luke, who's organising Native Summit, and he says they've now got also recently announced Christian Heilman is doing the keynote with his The Web is Dead talk. Now, if you don't know who Christian Heilman is, he works for Mozilla. And is a web evangelist for Mozilla. So it's quite interesting that he's doing a talk about the web is dead. That, mm. that looks like it might, might be very, very interesting. I'm intrigued. And Mike Tolte from Microsoft has a fabulously tongue in cheek talk titled Microsoft has an app platform with interesting bits. I read that in a strange way because there's a full <laughs> stop after each word there. Oh. And in his slide free session, he'll write code to show you some of the areas where Microsoft has taken a different approach around languages, frameworks, tools and services. He'll talk about the approach of building native applications with HTML and JavaScript and look at how to target an app across a broad range of devices with varying screens and input mechanisms. So that's like responsive design for native platforms. That sounds really interesting. There will also be a panel chaired by Margaret Gold where the speakers will be quizzed by both Margaret and the audience. It's nice to have participation. That's like, that's why it's a summit and not just a normal conference. So tickets to Nature Summit are on sale now and they're only £15. That's a bargain and we have even better a bargain for you. They have put aside a bunch of free tickets for unfinished business listeners for the conference. The first 20 of you, so get ready, who go and use the code UNFINISHED will unlock a free ticket on the site. So that's 20 free tickets available for those of you who are quick. And I should give you the address for that site. So to get yours, head to unfinished.bz slash native summit. And that way they'll know we sent you. What if I go and snap up one and then there's only 19? Ah, yeah, and if I do too, and then there's only 18. Oh. <laughs> so you've got to be really quick. With <laughs> so the last question that we had, which was asked last week, so I'm saying this slowly as I'm finding the right email. We had a tweet from Simon McFadden. He said, do you have any advice for a friend who is literally starting out as a designer from complete scratch? She's lovely. 
<laughs> I, I like the way that uh, she's lovely. Well, that's already a good step to success, being a nice person. <laughs> I think that you're obviously way more qualified to answer that than me because you're a designer and you're lovely. So on you go. Oh, well, I was, I was actually going to say to you, um, because I think that you know from starting a business perspective, is there any advice that you have for someone that's starting out a, a business working for other people by themselves? Oh gosh, I would just say, don't worry about getting everything perfect from the beginning. I would say, just do what you can and learn whilst you go and iterate and you'll learn how to deal with your clients as you go. You'll learn how to, you'll adjust your pricing as you go. Things will change. Don't worry about kind of hitting the ground running you know, it's okay to have a messy start and refine things over time. That would just be my advice, really. Yeah, that's the benefit of doing client work is that you will have new projects every now and again and every project is an opportunity to do it differently. And so every time you can take what you learned um, from the last project, what you what you did wrong and what you did right, and do it better the next time. You, you won't be amazingly successful in the first six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you get to that point, you feel like you're not doing very well. Don't worry about it. It's, it is hard starting a business. It is really hard getting up that interest. You can, some people are very lucky, but most people, you have to work really hard for it. And so don't stress yourself out if you don't think you're doing well enough early on, because you will get there with hard work. You'll definitely get there. Yeah. That's good advice. I think I do, a lot of people do think it kind of happens overnight and I'm prepared to actually put two years into my business before I decide if it really isn't working. I think two years is a good, obviously you want to be able to pay your bills and stuff, but two years is a good time to see if things are picking up, if they're growing and heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think that that sounds like a sensible length of time. I'd say as a designer, um, I'd say try and get as much work in your portfolio that reflects the kind of work you want to get. Um, so if you want to work for small businesses, try to work with small businesses initially or maybe design, do some design work for example, small businesses. It, even if, if you can't get actual work from real clients straight away, try and do as many projects for other things, volunteer organizations and anything like that that you can just use to get things into your portfolio so people can see that you're good, see the kind of work you do. Case studies are brilliant because people will understand more about the way that you think about things that's almost more important the writing about the project than showing pictures of what you've done because people really want to know the person behind that because you're not going to reproduce exactly the same design for each client so that's a very helpful thing to do and another one even though i'm not a designer but i think it's quite important that even when you're first starting out don't just accept any client work because the worst thing you could do is end up working with the client from hell who actually makes you depressed and hate your job and think you've made the wrong choice so be uh, be quite careful when you select your clients even though you're just starting out yeah you're never too inexperienced to be picky I i think of course we all we all need money but if someone's going to take all your time and give you barely any money then that's just it's just not worth it you have to have enough belief in yourself to charge enough and there are there's I'll put a link in the show notes to there's a really good freelance calculator that helps you work out roughly how much you you should be charging for an hourly rate based on um, all of your different outgoings in your business and your home and to help you charge a decent amount. It's very easy to think that when you're starting out, you need to undercut everybody and you really don't. Um, I think that you don't get the best clients when you're doing the cheapest possible jobs. Gosh, we could do a whole episode to just answer that one question, I think. Yeah, we really could. I think that my biggest piece of advice would be to stand up for yourself. To not be afraid to tell the client exactly what you think, because they've hired you for that. They've hired you for your opinion. And I don't mean be rude to the client and tell them that they're wrong. I mean, tell them honestly, I don't think this particular thing will work for you and this is why I think that or I think you should do this and I know this because xyz and have the confidence to stand up for yourself because 
that in the end is what the client is paying you for. They're not paying for you to make pretty pictures of a website. They're paying for your knowledge and your expertise and actually designing a solution that works well for them. Do you know, I actually have a really good story, a very quick story, don't worry, because I know we'll be wrapping up soon, um, about that. But for me as the client, because um, when I was wanting to to um I hired Simple as Milk to build the insurance by or to design the insurance by Jack website. Yeah. And my brief to them was I just want something completely different to any other insurer. And they came back with a couple of mock ups and one of them was the site as it currently is, which is very different to any other insurer. And then the other mock up they had was a lot more conventional, very familiar layout and colour scheme, very safe. And I chose that one. I said, I like this one. And I'm so grateful that David, the designer, came back to me and said, okay, but, you know, if you want to do something different, it's time to grow some balls and do something different. <laughs> and and I'm so grateful that he was that blunt with me because I could have, if, if they would just, if they had kind of just forgotten about the brief and, you know, went with whatever I was saying, then we'd have something very different and um, from what we have now, which would would actually be very similar to every other website out there. So yeah, so really, because sometimes your client will forget their goals, so it's it's important to have a backbone and remind them. But be polite when you do so. That is fantastic advice. I think that is a great point to end on. Yeah. So this was us on unfinished this business. Was us. <laughs> we we will be back. Um. But independently with Andy at some point, I'm sure. And maybe we'll, we'll be back again together soon. You'll, you'll see. You'll see. Um, <laughs> that sounds very <laughs> We're not letting Andy come back, are we? <laughs> no. No, we're just not. Um, if, uh, if you want to find out more oh, about this show, the show notes will be at unfinished.bz slash 82. Um, you can follow Unfinished Business on Twitter at UnfinishedBZ. You can find Ashley on Twitter at... I am Ashley. And you can find me at Laura Calvag. Bye-bye. Bye. Hurrah. Should we do the clap? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can hear you rubbing your hands <laughs> in preparation. <laughs> One, two, three...